Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. Elena mentioned last week at the start of this series that there is something um, revolutionary about stories that just captures us, right? Whether it be, you know, something like uh, Marvel. Any Marvel fans in the house this morning? One of the biggest selling stories, in that sense, of all time, Star Wars. Second biggest selling story of all time. I mean, the Bible's up there, right? It's a pretty big story, right? I mean, it doesn't, might not span multiple universes, although you never know. Um, but it's this huge story, and yet in the parables of Jesus, you see timeless truths condensed down into the most simple of stories about the most everyday of things. Did you know that sociologists reckon that the reason why we created things like language and art was so that we could tell stories? so that we could pass on one thing from this generation to the next generation. As a species, we developed words and pictures simply for the purpose of storytelling. Isn't that amazing? That there's something so intrinsically wired into the very core of who we are as individuals that when we couldn't tell stories, we created a way that meant that we could. And I think across our history, you've seen that from books and narratives through to cinema and spoken words and... Stories that we share across dinner tables and with friends. Ed's mentioned that we're going away on holiday next week, and I'm ready for us to be able to not just swap some stories, but write some stories. To be able to come back and go, hey, you'll never guess what we saw and did and the things that we experienced. And to be able to share something of our story with you. And this, for me, is what's genius about parables. But here's the thing, right? Parables aren't just simple stories with timeless truths. They are that, but there's something more than that. And so to help us kind of understand this, I want to drop into the middle of a parable that we're going to come to in a few weeks' time. So I'm not going to talk about the parable itself, but in the middle of Jesus' parable of the soils, he says this. He says that the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them, the crowd, in parables? And he answers them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from he who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Parables are designed to explain something to us, to reveal something to us, to tell us more about the way in which the world that we live in was designed to be in the way that God intended. They don't just tell us, hey, that's a nice story about some soil, or that's a nice story about two sons and their father. But they reveal something about the nature of the world as God intended it to be to people like you and me using language that we can understand. Isn't it great that you don't have to be super intelligent to understand the the world as it was meant to be? I'm glad that I don't need to have an IQ of like 5 million to be able to wrap my head around the big story of God in time and space and for what it means in my life. I'm so pleased that the story of parables are so simple and yet reveal something so profound that anyone can understand it. 
I'm really glad for parables. It makes my life easier, I've got to be honest, right? I know I give off the impression of being really intelligent. I'm not that bright, right? It's a really well-managed facade. <laughs> and there's something reassuring about these parables that no matter our educational background, no matter what we know of Jesus up until the moment where we first hear one, there is something true that can, we can learn from them about the nature of the world as God intended it to be. Anybody excited for parables this morning? You ready to learn some stuff? I'm a little worried about you, to be honest. Are you ready? Because like earlier, Dina said, hey, did you know that like, you're the plans and purposes for God for your life, which is something we spent a lot of time talking about this year, I'm not going to lie, right? Did you know that that happens on Monday to Friday? And you're like, <laughs> it's like okay, whoa, anybody there, right? <laughs> did you know that? Are you excited this morning? So it says this, right? So author and theologian Stanley Hauerbass, he talks about parables this way. He says, Jesus instructs the crowd through some of the parables, but he explains the parables to the disciples because they are the ones, they are the ones who must learn to live in the light of the world revealed by the parables. I think there's a slide with that quote on for you today. Jesus tells the story to the crowd, but he explains parables to those who follow him. Because it's them that need to learn to live as a result of them. It's people like you and me who need to lean in a little bit more to these stories of Jesus. And not just go, wow, wasn't that a great story? Wasn't that interesting? Isn't it clever how Jesus used this analogy? But for people like me and you, for those who have decided to who have found and have now decided to follow Jesus. And we do that to the best of our ability every day of our life. For people like you and me, we need to lean in just a little bit more to these stories. Because there's something that Jesus wants to reveal, not just to the crowds, but to people like you and me. Anybody up for that this morning? Great. Because I've not got another plan. Um, So that would be really awkward if you're like, no, we don't really fancy it, Dan. (laughs) So you see, this is the thing, right? This is our role throughout this whole series. We're going to be spending the next two months, right, right the way through to the end of July, thinking and talking about parables of Jesus. There's way more parables in the New Testament than we can fit into eight weeks, but we're going to do our best, right, to go through these. And our job, if you're somebody who said yes to Jesus and you're doing your best to follow him every day of your life, your job through the rest of this series is to lean in and to go, right, God, what is it you're wanting to show me? What is it you're wanting to tell me? What do I need to know about the way in which you designed the world to be that can impact my life, not just on a Sunday morning, but on the Monday through Friday? What is it, God, that you're saying to me? What's that one word that I need from you today? That's our job, right, is to lean into these things. I'm excited as somebody who spends more time sitting there than standing here to lean into the parables of Jesus over the next two months and to ask the same questions of these stories and go, Jesus, what is it that you're revealing to me? What are you trying to tell me about the way in which the world works at its best? And how might you need me to live my life differently on the Monday through Saturday? Because they don't just have a timeless surface level meaning, but they timelessly reveal something to us about the nature of the world as God intended it. You see, the world of the parables is brought into reality as people commit their lives to following Jesus and learning to be obedient to his teachings. These aren't passive stories that we just receive and go, wow, that's clever. 
The world that the parable explains is brought into being in the here and now. As the disciples of Jesus lean into the parables and learn obedience and tease out things that Jesus is asking of them through them. That's how we make the world that the parable reveals, not just something that's been revealed to us, but a reality in time and space. We've got to do our part in the revealing of these stories, not just to you and me from Jesus, but to our world. Because nine times out of ten, before somebody ever hears or encounters Jesus for themselves, they encounter a Christian. Right? And so our job as those who have found and now follow Jesus is really simple, is to go, God, What are you trying to show me? And how can I live this parable out? How can I be a living parable to people in my world? A living example, a living story of the things that you've shown me. How can I now show these things to my world through the way in which I live my life? We're going to be leaning into a parable in Matthew chapter 13 today, verses 31 to 35. So if you've got Bibles, whether that be paper ones or like the sort that you scroll with a thumb, whatever you've got, if you want to turn to that now. So it's Matthew chapter 13, verses 31, and then I'm going to read through for us. And I want us to be able to embrace two things this morning as part of our experience, as part of being a follower of Jesus. And they're two things that we probably give very, very little thought to. Smallness and hiddenness. Can you say that with me? Smallness? Smallness. Hiddenness. Smallness and hiddenness. Two experiences of a Christian that I think is something that Jesus wants us to embrace, wants us to grab hold of and to go, do you know what, God? In the very midst of my smallness and my hiddenness, I'm going to believe that you can outwork something of the kingdom of God in my environment. That I don't need to be, I don't need to have a global platform, Jesus. I don't need to have all the trappings of success. I don't need to have the power or the influence or the responsibility that I think I should have in order to change my environment. Because Jesus, through this parable in Matthew chapter 13, talks about two things. Smallness and hiddenness. And so there's something about these two elements that reveal the way in which the world was designed to be at its best. And that I think we get really wrong in our Mondays to Fridays. Matthew 13, 31 says this. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He went on and told them a second parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, Yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. The things that Jesus reveals to his disciples through parables aren't just timeless truths. They're things that have been hidden within creation itself since the dawn of time. Do you get that? They've been buried in their smallness, in their hiddenness, within the very fabric and being and nature of creation itself. And Jesus now reveals these things to us. Smallness and hiddenness, buried within us since the dawn of time. Wherever you are, why don't you just close your eyes? I'd just love to pray for us as we go forward. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your creative genius at the dawn of time, for burying things deep within creation that are for our benefit, not just for our benefit, but for the world's benefit. As we go through this parable together, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would reveal to us the things that you want us to learn about the way in which you intended the world to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, so you may have noticed, right, we have a problem in the world. You may have noticed that. I mean, to be fair, you may be looking at me going, Dan, we've got more than one problem. We've got a whole host of problems. My conviction is this. Most of the problems that we seem to experience within our world on a day-to-day basis come down to three things. Power, status, and wealth. Now, this isn't going to be like a, so you need to give it all away sort of sermon, although there are parables for that, and we may come to those in future weeks. But for today, I just want to highlight these three things, right? Because you don't need to look far afield within global politics right now to know that when power is in balance, things start to go really wrong really quickly, right? Or when wealth is extorted to the expense of the poor, things start to become out of kilter and out of whack really quick. Anybody notice this in their own world, right? But not just on the, ma- on the macro scale. We get this on the micro scale with us as individuals. We learn quickly as parents and as children, particularly as parents, I think, we, we learn really quick that it's actually quite easy to enforce our will on a two-year-old. Now, you may never use that language, but I wonder whether anybody's going, actually, hang on a minute, this is really just about me getting what I want in this scenario. Any other parents with me today? We go, actually, that was, less, that was more about me and less about you, right? <laughs> but we do. We notice these things in our daily lives that actually we have a tendency to lean towards feeling like we need power or wealth or authority in order to be able to change the environments in which we live. You go, hey, God, if you could just give me that promotion, if you could just give me just a bit more money, God, then I'd be able to do the things for you or change the world for your glory, for your glory, Maybe for mine. (laughs) But if you could just give me a bit more, God, (laughs) then I'd be able to do the things that I believe you've called us to do as Christians. If I could just be a bit more successful, if our church could just be a bit bigger, if we could just have a few more people in on a Sunday morning, if we could just have more than one church that we care for, if we could just do all of these things that the world says, that is successful. If we could just have these things, Jesus, then maybe, just maybe, we could do a little bit more with what we've been given. Is it just me this morning that has these kind of conversations with God? Because we do, don't we? I think as human beings, we have a bias towards needing or desiring or wanting power. Whether that be on a big scale with a title and a a corner office or your name on the door, or whether that just be simply the ability to influence, persuade, or coerce somebody in our world to do the kind of things that we would prefer them to do. And if I'm honest, most of the time, it's just preference, isn't it? If we're really honest, you go, do you know what? It doesn't really matter whether you do this thing or that thing. I would prefer you to do this. And I might try and expend all sorts of clever skills to convince you to do the thing that I want you to do. But nine times out of ten, it's probably more about me than it is about you. I wonder if you're the same as me. I suspect you might be. Because I'm sure of this, if it's true of me, I'm willing to bet, not good money, but some money maybe. I'll have a chat with Ed about the financial sustainability of that afterwards. (laughs) On that it's not just me. 
And so I think if we have this within us as human beings, and Jesus is trying to reveal to us something about being hidden and small, and the way that this world was meant to be, then what is it about the way that we use power, wealth, and status that is out of alignment with God's intention for creation? Because I think if that was the way that the world was meant to be, the way that the world had been designed to be, I think Jesus would have told a parable about power, wealth, and status and how we can use it in our world because then it would be revealing something about the created order. Does that make sense? But he doesn't do that. He reveals to us two things, hiddenness and smallness. And I remember watching a film as a kid. This film came out in 1996. So give me a wave if you weren't born in 1996. All right, okay, so odds are, like most of you, and to be fair, those of you that were born in 1996 or after, chances are you've seen this film. Anybody seen the film Matilda? Right, yeah, okay, all the hands, fantastic. So it was Danny DeVito and Pam Ferris were kind of the two like, leading actors in this. Pam Ferris, who I think up to that point had played some really lovely like mothering characters and then was just like the fear of God was struck into anybody about to start school by Miss Trunchbull, right? But there's this amazing line where um, Matilda and her dad, if you've seen the film, you'll know this scene well. They're in the garage together, and her dad, for those of you that haven't seen the film, are a bit of a wheeler dealer, right? He's kind of sawdust in the engine to make it quieter. He's running back the clock so it looks more attractive to the seller. And Matilda's like, Dad, you can't do this. That's not right. That's not the way the world's meant to be. At the age of six, she's critiquing her father's ethics, which is a little bit weird, but we'll go with it, right? And her dad responds to her and says this, I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it. Famous line, isn't it? Anybody ever felt like you've been spoken to that way? They've not used those words, but you've gone, I feel like Matilda in this moment. Anybody been Matilda's dad? You don't have to put your hands up, don't worry. (laughs) You can if you want. Christine is. Thanks, Christine. (laughs) But you go, no, hang on a sec. Right, this is just the way that it's going to be. I'm just going to put my foot down. We're not having it. Because the world works the way that I want it to work. I'm going to put my stamp on this conversation, whether that be in a workplace, a family environment, with friends. You're going to hang on a minute. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it because I hold all the cards. I have all the power in this moment. And whether that be because somebody else has given it to you or because of the way that we've worked the situation, we've gained the upper hand, I wonder how many conversations have been had over the years that sound an awful lot like that. (laughs) And I remember as a kid being like, but that's wrong. (laughs) There's something about children and the way in which they see the world. Jesus tells us, doesn't he? that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must become like a little one. And I wonder whether sometimes, for all of our intelligence and education and experience, whether we need to learn to see the world through the eyes of a child. And much like the film Matilda, be able to stand there and look at the person in authority and go, hang on, that's not right. And even if this is their response, to be able to embrace something of the smallness and hiddenness that Jesus is revealing to us. I think we get this wrong all the time in the world. I think we see politicians get this wrong. I think we see celebrities get this wrong. Over Christian history, I'm certain the church has got this wrong. Because we have that tendency that pulls us towards power, that pulls us towards things that we think are successful. And I think when you then begin to hold these things, 
I wonder whether conversations like this seem just a little bit more reasonable if we're the ones holding the cards. I wonder. Because I look around the world and I see this played out in the lives of countries, of nations, of governments. I see it played out in the financial industry, in the economy. I see it played out in schools, in families, in workplaces. And I just wonder whether we've got some things that Jesus is trying to reveal to us about the way in which he intended the world to be. Here's the thing, right? Mustard seed, really small. It's not the smallest of seeds. It's pretty small. I would say it's probably the seed that grows the most disproportionately large. So it may not be the smallest, but on balance it becomes the largest in comparison to the size that it began. Mustard tree grows to about 12 to 15 feet. It's about two and a half of me, for those of you that don't work in feet. Um, (laughs) So if you can just imagine like a mustard tree. And it comes from a seed about this small. We use them in cooking. For those of you at the back, you can't even see how far apart my fingers are. (laughs) And yet from this, this great tree grows. But is that the point of the parable? Because to me, that sounds more like the way in which the world works, where you go, well, even if we embrace smallness, we recognize it's only for a time because one day we'll be the biggest tree in the garden. Oh, hang on a minute. Is that what Jesus is saying? Or does that sound like the world in which we live? And I just wonder whether we, in our bias towards size or power or dominance over an environment, whether we kind of go, oh, it's okay, Jesus, I get it, right? You, you say, be content with being small because one day you'll be giant. And then we like skip over the next few words. And in every instance of this parable being told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it occurs in all three Gospels. And the words that follow the size of the tree are almost the same in every story. So this isn't something that Matthew's trying to do to be clever. This is something that the gospel writers are showing us and that Jesus is revealing to us. Because here's the thing. Even in its smallness, the mustard seed becomes a place of shelter for those in need. It's not about the size of the tree. It's about the shelter of the people who find a home in its branches. And so as we embrace smallness, you go, Jesus, even in my smallness, even in my seemingly insignificance, even in the moments where I feel like I have no power, Lord God, will I be the sort of person that can create shelter for somebody else? Even as a church, as we look and go, God, would you call us to bigger things? May that never be, Lord Jesus at the expense of being a place that can provide shelter for those who need it. Because that's the point of the parable. It's not about the size. It's about the birds that will find their home in the branches. And so I just wonder whether in our dedication to smallness this morning, that as we consider this parable together, we wouldn't be content to go, do you know what to say? Do you know what, God? You've called me to smallness. And that's okay. I may never have a global platform. And that's okay. I may never have the money in the bank that I want. Or my name on the door. But I will, as a follower of you, create a space for people to find shelter within my life. 
Because I think that's the way that Jesus designed the world to work. And I think that's the thing that he's revealing to us through this parable. So you go, all right, Dan, I get it. Smallness. What about hiddenness? So Jesus moves on to this second parable, the parable of the leaven, it says in some Bibles, or the, the yeast. Jesus moves on to this second parable, the parable of the leaven, it says in some Bibles, or the, the yeast. Jesus does that with a lot of parables, because I kind of think that the purpose of the parables is to mess with the way in which we think the world should work. Or perhaps more so than that, to mess with the way in which we think the church or religious structures should work. Because I think we get pulled to our own expectations. We get pulled to the world in which we've grown up in. And Jesus is just wanting to realign some things in us through these parables. And the three really surprising things are this. She's making bread. She's a woman. And she's using yeast. And the reason why these three things are so surprising is that it's the most ordinary of tasks. Like baking bread in the time of Jesus was about as common as brushing your teeth is today. You just, it's just something you do every day, right? Because we need bread. As does not open for like another 2,000 years. <laughs> and we're going to need some food at some point, right? Fish is expensive. I've got to catch a lamb and it's running over the fields. That sounds like a really bad idea. I'm going to capture the thing that doesn't move. Plants. Right? I'm going to make some bread. And they just would have made bread on a daily basis. It's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, give us today our daily bread is because daily bread was a thing. (laughs) A little bit like those of you that still get a daily paper. You go to the shop, you pick your paper, you come home. Daily bread is just a regular, ordinary, mundane occasion. It's not something that we just learn to do over lockdowns. Any other like lockdown bakers in the room today? (laughs) Focaccia bread is way more tricky than it looks, I'm telling you. And there's something about the ordinariness of this moment that people are just like, nothing significant can happen there, can it? It's like me going, do you know what, God, I'm going to change the world today in the way in which I brush my teeth. It's just not going to happen, right? This is the most normal of everyday activities. And yet Jesus is wanting to reveal to us something significant in the middle of the ordinary. The second thing is this, she's a woman. In the time of Jesus, very few people took women seriously. They weren't credible witnesses. Some women here may be going, do you know, Dan, 2,000 years of history and not much has changed. (laughs) (laughs) So she's the wrong, not only is she in the most ordinary of circumstances, she's the wrong person. If you were going to pick somebody to be a really good illustration of how to use power, status and wealth in the first century, you wouldn't pick a woman. You'd pick somebody else, anybody, literally anybody else. (laughs) And yet Jesus chooses not just an ordinary environment, but an ordinary person, somebody who wasn't taken seriously, somebody who didn't have status or wealth or power or prestige or anything that they could hold over somebody else. As Elena mentioned last week, Jesus is crafting these stories. He's not actually telling us a story about a woman who's breaking bread in her house, right? Or baking bread in her house. And so everything in it is deliberate because he is a genius storyteller. The last thing is this, yeast. Yeast within the world of Jesus, within Judaism of its time, was a little bit of a loaded substance. There were times of year where literally they would, and days of the week, where they would move all the yeast out of their house, clean it all down, get it all clean and clear, because yeast could corrupt an environment, because it's an active agent. If water gets on it, it starts to turn into mold. 
dirt comes in and invites disease and sickness and all other sorts of things that you don't need. And so you've got a woman using a suspicious substance that people were a little bit unsure about. And you know, what's the place of yeast within you know, baking bread in the day of Jesus? Well, it's controversial, right? And yet Jesus says that she hides, we're back to hiddenness again, the yeast in three measures of flour or three measures of dough. The last thing I want to draw out of this parable is this, three measures. We kind of think, okay, well, we make bread in cups today, right? So three cups of flour go in and then seven grams of yeast and then goes on from there. No, no, three measures. Three measures is a lot of flour. I was doing the maths, right? So I, I learned to make pizza dough over lockdown. Um, and I reckon that about a pound of pizza dough, uh, which is just under half a kilo for those of you that work in that way, um, will make about three pizzas. That's enough to feed myself, Elena, and Abigail for a meal, right? This flour, three measures of flour, is enough to give everybody here a pizza. Like, that's a preposterous amount of bread for a single woman to make in her kitchen, right? Not even the great Sue Waldridge of New Life Baking <laughs> fame, okay? Sue, I challenge you if you're watching home, if you can make, right, three measures of pizza dough to feed everybody here from your kitchen, well, hats off to you, right? Sue can knock out 150 cupcakes at the drop of a hat, but that's a lot of pizza dough, right? <laughs> 180 pizzas from her kitchen. I don't have a bread maker. I need my bread by hand when I make it. I need my dough. I ain't needing that much dough. <laughs> like, days it would take. And you go, well, Jesus, like, why, why this much dough? Why this much? You surely you could have made the same point. It's preposterous. It's an utterly ridiculous scenario to be compared to the kingdom of God. You go, this is a ridiculous scenario to be compared to the kingdom of God. You go, this would never happen, Jesus. And people in the crowd must have been going like, what on earth? He's lost it. It's like going, the kingdom of God is like the entire bread aisle of the supermarket. Oh, hang on a minute. How am I meant to... It's hiddenness. But here's the point. The yeast is hidden within such a preposterously, preposterously large amount of dough, and yet it cannot help but cause the dough to rise. It can't help it. It's in yeast's nature. It's determined. And so no matter how hidden your life may feel at times within your workplace, within your school, within your family life, no matter how hidden your faith may feel, can I say that? It can't help but cause things to rise. So no matter how hidden or small you may feel, you can be a person that provides shelter for those around you and causes things to rise within your environment. Even if you never move beyond being small and hidden. You may never have a global platform or a following on social media, the things we think we need. You may never be a counsellor. You may never be an MP. We could debate how effective they are at making change themselves. You may never be a celebrity. You may never have what we think we need to have in order to make a global or eternal 
different. And yet Jesus, through the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast, tells us that all we need is to embrace two things, smallness and hiddenness, so that we can create shelter and cause things to rise. I'm going to invite the band back up. They're going to lead us in a time of worship and response. But just as they come, I want to pray for two people. Not two individuals, two types of people. For those of you that in your everyday experiences, in your reality right now, in this moment, you feel either small or hidden. That might be for a whole host of reasons. From perceived power, from authority you used to have but no longer do. Maybe you've moved from employment into retirement and going, God, I just, I feel like I've lost the ability to affect change because I don't have a workforce anymore. I don't have people that I see at work. Maybe you're a young person looking at the way in which the world seems to be rigged to those that are older in a lot of ways and going, Do you know, I just feel hidden. I don't feel seen. How can I change anything? when nobody can hear me. Maybe because of self-confidence, self-esteem, or mental health issues, you just feel so small in any room you're in. Maybe you even feel like Scunthorpe is a hidden context. A bit like Nazareth in the day of Jesus. Can anything good come from Scunthorpe? You're like, God, what are you doing burying me here? Like, <laughs> could it be that if we think of ourselves as yeast for a moment, yeast that Jesus has buried in Scunthorpe, Lord God, would we as your people cause Scunthorpe to rise? for an environment, a town, a county to be changed. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that we don't need to be powerful or wealthy in order to do the things that you've called us to. I thank you that we don't need to be hugely intelligent or switched on or academic in order to be able to understand these simple things from the parables that you've left us. I thank you that anybody can embrace this. And that if we're honest, most of us experience this on a daily basis. But would you help us as people who have found you and for those of us who are dedicated to following you every day of our lives for the rest of our life to be able to embrace smallness and hiddenness not as a means to an end not as a stop gap until we're a 15 foot mustard tree and we dominate the skyline but would you help us to embrace these two things in the truth of what they are Opportunities to provide shelter for those in need and the ability to effect a change in an environment so impossibly large 
and yet we cause it to rise. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.